you guys are here. Uh, today we are going to be hitting up character and injustice. Uh, so I'm really excited to talk to you about this particular topic. Uh, I also really love workshops because a workshop insinuates a little bit of work. So uh, we're going to have a lot of fun today. You're in roundtables because we're going to do a bit of discussion. Because um, I really do believe that each of you... <laughs> Thanks, Colby. I really do believe that each of you have your own experiences, your own education that you can share and sharpen one another, um, whoever's sitting at your round table. So um, I'm really stoked. What you guys will notice is that... Um, at your table, maybe you won't notice, but I actually have one of my interns at every table, and what they're going to be doing today is they're just going to introduce themselves in a couple minutes, and they're going to be here to just kind of help facilitate conversation um, and just want to get to know you. So, we're going to start the workshop by doing a little bit of work. I want you to flip to the first page of your workbook. I just want you to write down three things that you want to learn today. So, what are you curious about when you hear this topic? Character and injustice, what do you want to learn? Just write down things, we got about five minutes, and then we're going to go into our next section.
too big of problems. We can't just solve world hunger like right now, but we can do something and we can learn what to do through scripture and through the Bible. So Vicki is going to take us through some verses that can tell us what we can do. Beautiful. Thanks, Alex. you guys through what we're going to be working through today. So to give you an overview of what you can expect, what's coming at you, we're going to be talking about injustice. So what God says, what the world says, we're going to be talking about justice, what God says and what the world says. And then lastly, how that should shape and form our leadership and our character. So I'm going to start with a really hard question. Why does injustice exist? almost rhetorical. Injustices, you can see, we know that they are overwhelming and that they're rampant in the world. And basically, we could do like a whole series on this, we could go for a while, but injustices exist because we live in a broken world. We live in a broken world because sin is present, and sin is present because of the fall of Adam and Eve. So Adam and Eve chose to sin, and because of that, their sin consequences are injustices, and that has rippled through the generations, has multiplied, and this is where we're at today, where we see injustice rampant in our world. And so, what I want to do is we're actually going to do a bit of a case study, so you can flip the page in your workbook, and you're going to see a really fun little diagram. So, what we're looking at is actually the very first injustice ever recorded, uh, which is in your Bible, uh, basically page two. So, uh, God is an absolute perfect being, and he decides that he's going to uh, create a perfect world. So, he creates the world, creates man in it. Um, and this is the story of what happens when something imperfect happens in a perfect world. So, if you want, you can follow along as I read. Genesis 3, verse 1. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must eat any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will, like God, know what is good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and uh, also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord um, among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to them and said, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate it. So... This is the very first injustice. Now, I want to very much highlight that Adam and Eve very specifically chose to sin. That was very much their decision. However, there is some like very 
much, there is truth in the fact uh, that they were very much uh, victims to an injustice. They were deceived. And so, if you want to fill it out with me, that little diagram that you see here, this snake, he did an injustice to the woman by deceiving her. The woman, in turn, did an injustice to the man. And all three of them, in turn, did an injustice to God's law, to God's order. Like I said, he created something that was perfect. They chose something opposite to that perfection. And because of that opposition to perfection, God had to respond with justice to say, you have ruined what was perfect, now I need to fix it. So, for those of you who know uh, how the story continues, God goes on to say to the woman, you are going to have a terrible time having babies. (laughs) To the man, he says, you're going to have a terrible time working the earth because it's going to be really, really hard. And to the snake, he says, you're going to crawl on your belly for the rest of your life. And so it can be really easy in this, like, little story to see that, like, if we sin, if we fall short of God's perfection, that we will be punished. All throughout scripture, God shows and reveals himself to be the perfect judge. He isn't just someone who knows right from wrong. He is perfectly right. He is perfect. And so when something opposes that perfection, it requires that it is fixed. However, this super judgy, angry God in heaven is not a full picture of who God is. God is perfectly balanced. Judge and grace. And so you'll see on your workbook, it says expectation versus reality. I didn't have a funny meme, but I did have this. So, uh, expectation is that when we sin, God judges us and we have to pay the price. That's what we see in Adam and Eve's story. However, I want to suggest that the actual reality of justice is when we sin, God has to judge, but it's balanced with his grace, and then we pay the price. So, the story continues for Adam and Eve, and they are punished, they're cursed, like I said, but then they are kicked out of the Garden of Eden, and they're told that they have to work the earth for the rest of their life, and it's going to be really, really hard. Now, you might be like, how is that graceful? I don't think that is at all. Let me tell you this. Like a person that is super, super sick, has like a terminal illness, there will be obvious symptoms. There will be obvious signs that something is wrong and that it points towards a deeper issue. In the same way, when God cursed Adam and Eve and kicked them out of the Garden of Eden, it was justice, but it was also grace, because here's what he did. He allowed for the rest of humanity, the rest of the story, to always see that there is brokenness between God and man. There is brokenness in that relationship. And so he gave us symptoms to point towards a deeper root issue that something is wrong. Injustice is one of those symptoms. That there is something wrong. There is something broken between God and man. So, here's what I want you guys to do. I want you guys... Oh, actually, no, not yet, actually. I want to quickly talk about what the rest of the Bible says about injustice. You might be like, okay, that was one story. How do we know that that's the story all the way through the Bible? Well, if you look at 
any other story in the Bible. We can choose any character, like injustices weave throughout the entire Bible. You can choose Abel, murders, Esther, orphans, David, persecuted by the government, uh, Joseph, uh, human trafficked and put into slavery, like Peter, discriminated for his religion and killed. There's so many injustices that are happening. And even the oldest book of the Bible, Job, all it is is a series of misfortunate events, injustice after injustice after injustice. And so injustice is just like rampant in the Bible, and it's rampant now. So what does God say about it? What's God's response? God hates it. He really hates injustice because it is absolutely opposite to his perfect design. So I want to highlight four verses here um, that show us that God hates it. God hates scales that are falsely collaborated to cheat the customer. He hates hands that shed innocent blood. God hates those who justify the wicked, and God hates those who condemn the just. So how can injustices exist if God really, really hates them? Again, massive question that we could do a whole series on. But very simply put... God allows injustice to exist even though he hates it because he gave us free will. And that was an ultimate act of love from him to us. The second reason he allows injustice to exist in the world, and we can pull this from the book of Job, is that when we experience injustices as we do every day, it makes us, it gives us opportunity to look more like God. And when we see injustice in the world, it gives us opportunity to love like he loves. And so could he eradicate injustice? Very much yes, but also very much no, because he will not contradict the love gift of free will that he gave us. So, here's what I want you guys to do. We're going to break up and do a little bit of table discussion. So I want you guys to talk about the injustices that you see in your world that happen on a daily basis. They aren't hunger or maybe poverty or lack of education, but we all experience them. So I want you guys to chat about that. And then, as a table, I want you guys to discuss in 10 minutes or less um, what do you think the world says about injustice. How does the world respond? Sound good? Awesome, go for it.
that you're talking about. Let's talk about justice. What does God say about justice, and what does the world say about justice? I don't know if you guys have heard of Bible Project, um, but it's this really cool like company. They basically like make really sweet videos that make Bibles like books easier to understand. They made like a one-off uh, video uh, that like perfectly hits on justice. So it's like a six-minute video, um, and it's going to teach us a little bit more about what God says about justice. Cool. Okay. If you were a praying mantis, it would be socially acceptable to devour your mates. And if you're a honey badger, you have no regard for other animals. You don't care. If you're a panda with twins, it's normal to abandon one to take care of the other. But if humans do any of these things, we would call it wrong, unfair, or unjust. Yeah, why is that? Why do humans care so much about justice? Well, the Bible has a fascinating response to that question. On page one, humans are set apart from all other creatures as the image of God. Yeah, God's representatives who rule the world by his definition of good and evil. And this identity, it's the bedrock of the Bible's view of justice. All humans are equal before God and have the right to be treated with dignity and fairness no matter who you are. And that would be nice if we all did that, but we know how the world really works. And the Bible addresses that too. It shows how we are constantly redefining good and evil to our own advantage at the expense of others. Yeah, self-preservation. And the weaker someone is, the easier it is to take advantage of them. And so in the biblical story, we see this happening on a personal level, but also in families, and then in communities, and in whole civilizations that create injustice, especially towards the vulnerable. But the story doesn't end there. Out of this whole mess, God chose a man named Abraham to start a new kind of family. Specifically, Abraham was to teach his family to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. If doing righteousness, that's a Bible word I don't really use, but what comes to mind is being a good person. But what does that even mean, being good? The biblical Hebrew word for righteousness is tzedakah, and it's more specific. It's an ethical standard that refers to right relationships between people. It's about treating others as the image of God with the God-given dignity they deserve. And this word justice, it's the Hebrew word mishpat. It can refer to retributive justice. Like if I steal something, I pay the consequences. Exactly. Yet most often in the Bible, mishpat refers to restorative justice. It means going a step further, actually seeking out vulnerable people who are being taken advantage of and helping them. Yeah, some people call this charity. But mishpat involves way more. It means taking steps to advocate for the vulnerable and changing social structures to prevent injustice. So justice and righteousness are about a radical, selfless way of life. Yeah, and you find this idea all over the Bible. Like here, in the book of Proverbs, what does it mean to bring about just righteousness? Open your mouth for those who can't speak for themselves. 
And what do these words mean for the prophets, like Jeremiah? Rescue the disadvantaged, and don't tolerate oppression or violence against the immigrant, the orphan, and the widow. And like here, look in the book of Psalms. The Lord God upholds justice for the oppressed, gives food to the hungry, and sets the prisoner free. But he thwarts the way of the wicked. Well, he thwarts the wicked? Yeah, in Hebrew, the word wicked is rasha. It means guilty or in the wrong. It refers to someone who mistreats another human, ignoring their dignity as an image of God. So justice and righteousness is a big deal to God. Yes, it's what Abraham's family, the Israelites, were to be all about. They ended up as immigrant slaves, being oppressed unjustly. And so God confronted Egypt's evil, declaring them to be rasha. Guilty of injustice. And so he rescued Israel. But the tragic irony of the Old Testament story is that these redeemed people went on to commit the same acts of injustice against the vulnerable. And so God sent prophets who declared Israel guilty. But they weren't the only ones. There's injustice everywhere. Yeah, some people actively perpetrate injustice. Others receive benefits or privileges from unjust social structures they take for granted. And sadly, history has shown that when the oppressed gain power, they often become oppressors themselves. So we all participate in injustice, actively or passively, even unintentionally. We're all the guilty ones. And so this is the surprising message of the biblical story. God's response to humanity's legacy of injustice is to give us a gift, the life of Jesus. He did righteousness and justice, and yet he died on behalf of the guilty. But then God declared Jesus to be the righteous one when he rose from the dead. And so now Jesus offers his life to the guilty so that they too can be declared righteous before God. Not because of anything they've done, but because of what Jesus did for them. The earliest followers of Jesus experienced this righteousness from God, not just as a new status, but as a power that changed their lives and compelled them to act in surprising new ways. Yeah, if God declared someone righteous when they didn't deserve it, the only reasonable response is to go and seek righteousness and justice for others. This is a radical way of life, and it's not always convenient or easy. It's courageously making other people's problems my problems. This is what Jesus meant by loving your neighbor as yourself. It's about a lifetime commitment fueled by the words of the ancient prophet Micah. God has told you, humans, what is good and what the Lord requires of you is to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Uh, so that video does such an awesome job uh, of showing us what the Bible says about justice. We've discovered that God hates injustice and his response to the like history of all of our injustices was to send Jesus. Jesus stood in the gap for us and acted as an act of justice to what we wouldn't deserve because the wages of sin is death and we always will fall short of Jesus's perfection and what God requires of us. And so Jesus came and stood in the gap on our behalf. So then, what does the world say about justice? If I were to ask any one of you, like, what do you think the world says about justice? You would probably say something to the effect that everybody in this world wants justice. 
That's why we've got so many different movements for so many different causes out in the world. We hate being on the receiving end of something that is unfair. Nobody likes it. Whether you know God or not, nobody likes to be on the receiving end of an injustice. However, very interestingly, we live in a culture right here and right now that says whatever's right for you is right. So if whatever you want to do is right for you and whatever I do is right for me, then we're actually kicking ourselves in the foot because what we're actually saying is that there is no wrong. Because if you're doing what's right and I'm doing what's right, then there is no wrong. And if there is no wrong, then there is no need for justice in this world. And so by the very fact that we all want justice, again, it's like another symptom of the fact that there is something wrong that we need to get fixed. There's a really great uh, quote by Billy Graham. Uh, and it goes like this. <clears throat> it says, Modern man does not like to think of God in terms of wrath, anger, and judgment. He likes to make God according to his own ideas and to give God the characteristics he wants him to possess. Man tries to remake God to conform to his own wistful thinking so that he can make himself comfortable in his sin. This modern God has the attributes of love, and of mercy, and of forgiveness, but is without justice. Man doesn't want to be judged and punished for sin. He reconstructs God along the lines of tolerance, all-embracing love, and universal goodwill. In this picture of God, there are no laws that demand absolute obedience and no standards to which we must adhere. This is basically saying... That this cultural attitude of whatever is right for you is right for you is wrong. And that that culture is actually impacting how we view God. We're starting to look at God and saying, oh, like God is just like all loving. He's like all mercy and he's like all forgiveness. He is all of those things fully, but he is very much a God of justice That when something is wrong, it needs to be made right. And we as broken people, left to ourselves, cannot come up with a justice system that will work. Or that will be right. Because we are broken, and we will always make or see broken things. We cannot have justice without God. And if we want justice to come here on this earth, then we need to be people of righteousness. Righteousness means, like the video is saying, right standing with people. It also means that you do not let sin live in your life. So, in a broken world with a broken view of justice, how the heck are we supposed to lead? How are we supposed to be people of character? Well... Here's what we're going to do. We're going to break up into our groups, uh, into our tables. And uh, you guys only have like five minutes for this. It's going to be nice and quick. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to think of one story from Jesus' life that you can think of. Any story, doesn't matter. Choose one little story, then answer the two questions that are on the booklet. Um, it should be the next page. Um, and basically, how is Jesus used as a tool of justice in the story that you choose? And then how can you apply that to your life? Sound good? Then we're going to go over what what I pulled. <laughs> oh. 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 Oh.
sorry. I just wasn't sure if you were, so I was like, oh, I'll just play this. at your table. Um, so basically, like the reason I asked you to do that is because first and foremost, like as followers of Jesus, like if we want to be people of character and of good leadership, we need to submit ourselves to the Bible. We need to be reading it. We need to know the stories in it and we need to know how that impacts us um, in our leadership and in our character. Now, Jesus came to like completely write everything that was wrong. Uh, and so there's like a gazillion things that we could pull from like, how's this supposed to change my character? How's this supposed to change my leadership? I pulled two for each so that we're not overwhelmed. So how should this impact my character? Knowing what we know about injustice and justice, then our character should be shaped by the fact that we should hate injustice as much as God hates it. Like, that should be a huge piece of our character, that we hate injustice, because the one who made us hates injustice. The second thing uh, is that we need to be righteous. We need to be righteous people. Like, the video showed that Abraham's family was chosen to be people of righteous and justice. We need to be people um, that are righteous, which basically means we cannot let sin live in our lives. The moment we continue to let sin live in our life, we're perpetually allowing to ourselves to be a tool of injustice in the world, which is the exact opposite of what God created for us. So that is how our two things that should shape our character. The next two things that should shape us in our leadership is that we need to act justly to everybody. So Matthew 25, 14 says, Truly, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And that was Jesus talking. And so as leaders, we need to be people that act justly to everyone. That's our friends, that's our family, that's our coworkers. That is the people with disabilities. It's the people that are homeless. It's the people that smell bad and look weird and have a funny sense of humor and whatever. And it's especially the people that we don't like. Like, we need to act justly to everybody. 
because it makes the justice circle complete. Because Jesus stood in the gap for us as an act of justice. And when we do that to others, he literally says, you're returning it to me when you do it to the least of these. The next thing that we need to do, the next thing we need to let impact our our leadership is we need to pray for justice. Matthew 6.10 says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus was teaching us how to pray. And he literally said, Pray for my justice on this earth. Pray that my justice would come, my will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. He designed the earth to replicate heaven and there's a gap. And he's asked us to stand in the gap and pray. So, I mean, these are the four things we should be doing. Like, I mean, we should hate injustice. We should be people of righteousness. Like, we should act justly to everybody and we should pray for it. Like, even if we were doing all four of these things, it's really hard to know where to start because injustices are all over the place and they're really big. So, leaving this workshop, I want you to have a practical sense of, like, what you are passionate about when it comes to injustice and what you can practically do. So, on the next page of your workbook, there's a passion, justice passion inventory. You're going to take a couple minutes by yourself. You're going to read over the list and check off the things that you are the most passionate about just reading through the list. Then, what I want you to do is I want you to choose your top two. Write them in the box, and then once you've done that, maybe like two minutes, I want you guys as a table, or sorry, no, I want you to write out a few practical things that you could do about the like specific thing that you're passionate about, then I just want you to share it in your table. Sound good? Awesome, awesome.
because what you are doing is unjust. Um, And it gets to the point that people don't listen. It gets to the point where God is so angry that he says, okay, like, I need to pour out my justice now. And he very specifically, in a conversation with Ezekiel, he says, I looked for a righteous man to stand in the gap on behalf of these people, and I found nobody. You and I are very, very privileged that Jesus has stood in the gap for every single one of us. As an act of justice, the wages of sin is death. We deserve that, but Jesus stood in the gap for us. Every single one of us has the honor and the privilege to go out into the world and to stand in the gap on behalf of the people that do not have Jesus in their life, who do not have Jesus standing in the gap for them because they haven't accepted him yet. And so, as you leave, I hope that you hear that the greatest act of justice that you can do to this world is proclaim and share the name of Jesus with every single person that you meet. Because our world desperately needs
justice. Thank you so much for coming today. I hope you learned something. Enjoy your next workshop.